Hello, hope you're well. Thank you for hitting on the button. Teddy Draper here, sports broadcaster in the UK with Sport and Life podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you to the sponsors as well. Chief sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. House to here in Cheltenham in Montpellier, in the beautiful courtyard, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham store, but look up Serene AV online to get in contact with Jason Briggs and his fine team. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, remember the association the podcast has with Cytoplan, food-based supplement company, again, based in the west of England, but you can contact them online and you can get a 30% discount with the podcast, with your first purchase, 10% ongoing. Go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk and at at checkout, Enter the code DRAPER10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals one zero, and the capital letter R. Remember also our our, uh, relationship with uh, Herring Shoes, an English family-run shoemaking business, which Richard Herring started in 1966. Herring specialised in handmade classic shoes like Oxfords and Brogues. I've got a pair of cracking Brogues, last all day long, really cool classic style incredibly comfortable they've got this family heritage in england then going back to the world cup year of 66 but have kindly offered listeners of the podcast a 10 percent discount they ship worldwide as well just go to herringshoes.co.uk at checkout the code is ted10 t-e-d capital letters the numerals one zero works on all full price shoes over 20 pounds remember if you'd like to get some of your loved ones life stories and memories recorded in their own voices you may want to check out attic box audio atticboxaudio.co.uk or via our main website drapermedia.co.uk and if you're feeling a little bit stuck in life potentially or want some guidance and just to work things out remember the mentoring session with anthony asprey of the whole man academy there's a link for a free session via the show notes right onto the podcast health and well-being specialist lorian holiday great name great guy and i hope you enjoy this podcast here he is lorian holiday Lorien Holiday, welcome to the podcast Sport and Life. Great to see you. How are you? Hello, Teddy. Thanks so much for having me on the on the show. Really appreciate it. I'm good, thank you. Just uh, surviving the cold, probably like the rest of the nation. Yeah, it's a cold snap again. A bit more sun. Yeah, at least there's day. It's either in the winter in the UK that you have sunlight or or kind of mild gloom. And it's it's the sunlight comes with cold, so it's kind of choose your choose your poison, isn't it? (laughs) It definitely is. Or not, or not choose it. But we, yeah, apologies as well because a technical mishap then. It did make me think actually, with the sort of the wonders of Zoom and modern life. How much? And we'll talk about what you do in terms of your holistic approach to health and wellness and mindfulness and things. But how much technology has, has brought a level of new stress to to our lives? Perhaps facilitate a lot of conversations like this one. But it, it does. If we're not IT experts, it does bring a little bit of anxiety as well. It's a mixed blessing. It really is, and I, I think there's nothing more true of that than social media. And I suppose you hear so much about it at the moment. And I mean, technology does wonderful things. And I think that's probably true for virtually all technologies. Um, they're capable of, of great things and, and a lot of benefit for us as a, as a society and as a culture, but also come with their challenges as well. And I think the technology is definitely that. I think our inability to unplug mm. and our inability to have space and find our 
find ourselves some some openness and, and some outdoor space oftentimes as well and and just get away from the from the craziness of the world and when social media and the 24-hour news cycle is sort of telling you about all the all the challenging things typically that are going on or how you're not quite good enough and compared to yeah x y and z people um that's that's the sort of the downside of it but the the plus side is, is of course, you know, our ability to share our experiences and share our knowledge and, you know, solutions to make hopefully people's lives better. So it's always, it's always a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah. How do you approach that with social media? Cause it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it, you even have like neuroscientists talking about the detrimental effects of scrolling, but yet someone like Andrew Huberman, who I listen to a lot on his podcast, will use Instagram and, and platforms like that to to spread messages, yeah. anti-social media messages. So there's a, yeah. the weird one. Is it a sort of necessary poison that we have to use to to get almost question people? It's got, go to where people are is the sort of the argument, isn't it? Because it's difficult. I don't know whether there's an analogy with social media and alcohol, because there's a new movement that people say alcohol's all all alcohol's bad. Bad, none, none at all is, is good. But then I do think there's a strong argument that alcohol can be a good reason for people to, to socialize and things like that can be a social lubricant, can get people together. So I don't know whether social media is, is analogous to that. It's how much we, we consume of it. But do, how do you feel when you, because you put out some great mindful videos on there. So you're kind of, I guess, trying to be an oasis in a, in a frenetic sea. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm very aware of that sort of paradox or that perverse sense of, of conflict between the two, because, because yes, I do, you know, and, and again, I suppose it comes back to what I said a moment ago, I don't think it's inherently bad. But I think because of our, because of our innate psychology and our tendency to judge ourselves to judge others, we are, it's very easy to fall into the, in quotes, the dark side of, of social media and to let it run too much negative information in your life but yeah I mean I'm telling people in my posts and with my mindfulness to disconnect and to and to be present with what's really going on in the moment and actually look at the world directly around you not at all the the chaos that's presented through social media through the, the 24-hour news cycle etc etc so there is definitely that sort of that perverse conflict but I think it is it is about you have to connect to people don't you and and mm. it is strange you know we both grew up in a world without social media believe it or not and mm. it's hard to believe now you know that, that mindfulness teachers coaches would have found business before social media <laughs> yet they clearly did but it's it really is hard to imagine how that mechanism worked even though it clearly did I mean people like Tony <laughs> Robbins obviously became very successful before social yeah. media right? my, my dad my dad had the big cassette packs of Tony Robbins actually with uh, you know with sort of and it's interesting because in my 30s you start to get more interested in self-development I don't know whether your, your natural steam of youth starts to abate and you start to look at your life and, and be more conscious about it and he he was like oh yeah I've got all these cassettes not that we could play them now but cassettes of Tony Robbins because I'd started listening to some of his online stuff and it was it was quite interesting those those connections actually so clearly people required a little bit of of that sort of mindful focus when they were in the 1980s pre-social media but it is a, it is a different picture now Laurie and just to explain your, your your background a little bit because I think I said holistic I think it's a good word isn't it because you you came from sort of roots of, of physical health and well-being with the personal training which I know you still offer through through your website as well but then you've you've branched out but I, I feel like there's a consistent thread there, isn't there, between body and mind? Is that is that your journey that you, you didn't see them as, as separate entities or separate pursuits? 
Yeah, I don't think you can't separate one from the other. And I think people are, are, are too inclined to. And I think there are lots of people who try and treat their mental health with physical well-being. And that yeah. works to a point, can work to a point. Mm. And that there's people who are far too focused on their mental well-being, which doesn't sound like a bad thing per se, but they neglect the physical aspect of life. And I, I do think that, and we all have our individual you know, challenges in life and and circumstances that face us and not all of us are as able-bodied um and for a variety of reasons we might be in ill health etc cetera, etc cetera. but for the vast majority of us there is this i think there's a need to find a real equilibrium with the two and to focus on on both and i mean i came into this i mean i spent 20 years before sort of embarking on this in financial services of all things really and being <laughs> very very glamorous <laughs> well you are you because you're down the south coast aren't you now is that right yeah that's right Were you J yeah. jp morgan's big down there is that JP Morgan, there? yeah so that's yeah. where i spent a, a, a lot oh, of okay. my time yeah yeah absolutely so I, I was you know i was successful enough to all intents and purposes but i was thoroughly miserable with it all and i sort of took took the plunge um when there was an opportunity created and and i retrained and i retrained as a personal trainer so i had a, a full-on midlife crisis you know a mm. financial services person got a sports car ditched my career that sort of thing um and i trained as a and how, how old were you how old were you at this stage i was when i was sort of having these thought processes planning this it was 38 so yeah. 38 it was really yeah so I, I got out in time for my 40th basically so um because it, it took some time it took some planning it wasn't this wasn't quite as whimsical as perhaps i'm making mm. it sound it's, it's a big time though isn't it because you start to think <laughs> hang on a minute you look at i mean this is maybe my maudlin way of looking at it, but you start to look at male life expectancy and start to think i'm approaching halfway here this is you know i need to figure out what what i'm doing because <laughs> the, the, tre the treadmill isn't necessarily giving me what i thought it would give me no quite and and and, and it is absolutely about sort of quality, I think, not quantity. And I think that's what people sort of overlook. And so, yeah, so I retrained as a personal trainer and I, I thought that I'd help corporates and, and but nothing could be further from the truth. I ended up working with the elderly. So I mm. fell in with a local physiotherapy company who wanted some non-physio people to do sensible exercise with the elderly. And so I ended up working in care homes with people with dementia and Parkinson's and strokes and all sorts of things. And it gave me such a fresh perspective on mm. human condition, particularly in our most challenging times, right? Which we all potentially face to, you know, to your point, as we get older, we don't know yeah. what's around the corner for us. And invariably there's going to be a phase of ill health. And one of the things that was kind of, I suppose, frightening or an eye opener for me is the length of time you can spend in those states. You know, we kind of, when we're young and we're busy with our lives and we're, we're running around frantically, we kind of think that, that well, we hope perhaps that old age and illness will be quick. <laughs> yeah. Get that bit out of the way. The heart, yeah, as, as a bloke as well, you think, oh, I'll just get a heart attack or something, you know, yeah, it's that's, like going that's, to sleep. Yeah. 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 yeah that's right. That'd be kind of, you know, from, from, from the purpose of your own perspective, that's kind of perfect. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, if not for your, the person lying not next to you, necessarily another 10 years around yeah. you. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but you know, there, there are people obviously living, living in very poor sort of qualities of, of life, so to speak, in terms of their independence, their freedom, mentally and physically. And it got me really thinking, why are people not taking better care of themselves? Because, you know, a lot of this is, is education, but a lot of it is is a psychological barrier, right? Mm. It's not actually that we don't know how to run, we don't know how to do push-ups or all these sort of things, right? There's no shortage of information for, for the vast majority of us to easily consume to tell us how to be physically more fit and well. Yeah. But 
so many of us don't do it and don't apply it. So that really fascinated me. And that was, I suppose, really made manifest in working in the care homes and seeing that sharp end of life. So, so that sort of pushed me into the mental health side of things. And so I spent the last, and this really tied in with the pandemic, I mean, the pand- which was kind of perfect timing in that sense. Um, and so I sort of, you know, really threw myself wholeheartedly into trying to understand, you know, human behavior and psychology, and also to find tools that help us navigate that landscape better and actually take more better charge of what we do so things like neuro-linguistic programming cognitive behavioral therapy mm. um, coaching strategies and of course mindfulness and so so yeah so i really do try and bring all those pillars of health together and i have a sort of a little model of sort of a five five pillars of well-being which sort of incorporates a number of these things yeah um what, what yeah. are the five um, so it's a sleep fundamentally. So you want to be sleeping well. Mm. You need to be taking care of your your mental landscape. So through mindfulness, um, it's nutrition, what you actually put into your body. Um, it is the the physical activity. And what is the fifth one? I'm going. This is a terrible, <laughs> terrible mission. The fifth one has escaped me completely. Don't worry, that's fine. Well, this is it. This is it. This is the kind of reality. It's the four of, pillars of well-being of life in pillars. in life in 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 real time. Um, yeah, I, I think. I mean, is it relationships? Just thinking off the top of my head, would it be that? I don't well, know. relationships is a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. that community, sort of a community sense and, and spirit. Yeah. sort of some, the, the need for contribution. So that, yeah, that'll do. I, that's a good one. The sleep. It's funny. The sleep one is a biggest challenge of mine because I've worked shift work for twenty years as a sports journalist, and you kind of work late, early's that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and actually, yeah, I've got yeah. a regular pattern now, but I still have three 2am bedtimes which I'm trying to mitigate and my little girl is now eight and doesn't wake us up as much in the night so you kind of you get that 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 balance but you do realize how much of physical and, and mental health is, is pegged to sleep because when you're sleeping well mm. your levels of, of optimism and energy just rise don't they and I think maybe we forget about that and I think you yeah. going back to our earlier mention about the social media and technology that's made it more challenging the sleep environment I believe. Yeah, well, yes, you've got the sort of phones, typically our phones are by our bed, and you may or may not put them on silent or sleep mode, you may or may not have notifications going off in the night. So, so yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, there's also, you know, how, how quickly in the morning and question for yourself and your listeners, you know, do you reach your phone and pick it up in the morning, mm. even if it's even if, you know, even if extensively, it's just to turn the alarm off. And, and again, invariably, our phones are now our alarms, right? They're becoming increasingly mm glued to us and and that's the great thing in some senses right it's super practical you've got a, a one one device that has your banking your email your ability to connect with people i mean no one actually uses it as a phone anymore which is the hilarious <laughs> thing i mean yeah which was why it was really good when we when it first came out i remember being a teenager and it was like oh i could get you know i can call people i can organize things. Cool, don't, don't yeah. need to get don't need change for the phone box yeah yeah but now nobody uses it as a phone. It's always something else. But um, so, you know, so it's super practical. But on the flip side, yeah, you're, you're kind of compelled to it. And you, and you can easily fall into the state of anxiety when, where's my phone? And mm. it's not, it wouldn't matter if it was just a phone per se, but because it has so much of your life plugged into it, if, you know, the security fails and someone picks it up, who's, you know, got malicious intent for it or whatever, then you're like, crikey, there goes my <laughs> internet banking, there go my credit cards, all these sorts of things, right? So... Yeah, no, it's it's a big one. And I think actually you, you read more and more worrying things. Like I, I, I'm kind of aware of it, but more aware now it thrust into my attention, probably on social media about the, the effects potentially on sperm motility and things of men of having mobile phones in their pockets. And you sort of wonder, right, 
the smartphone culture has just been thrust upon us, hasn't it? And you, you mentioned that kind of anxiety but it being physically attached to us, that, that need for it. And you talked about going outdoors and the importance of that. Just as a tangent here, do you feel it's important to have time away physically from the phone just to, to deal with that sense of, um, I guess, addiction to it, perhaps, That's that, that intensity? Yeah, I think it is, but I think that's true for lots of things. And we sort of mentioned alcohol earlier on in the in the mm. podcast, and and there there are, I think, some some similarities. I mean, we all have crutches for for the challenges that we face in life, right? We all do. Life is is difficult, and it's not all pleasant, and and not that we should we shouldn't look for it to all be pleasant because that causes lots of problems for us in the in the process. But um, whatever your your crutch is for managing. The challenges that you have in your life you should try and identify that and just be aware of it so that that's a, a key step to potentially changing your addiction because if you're not aware that there's a potential problem or what your behavior is you're never going to change it so but yeah I would encourage people to to take some time away I mean I make a conscious effort to leave my phone at home when walking my dog in the morning for example yeah. so there's a sort of a simple a simple thing there every day but also part of me thinks well what happens if I spot a car crash or I have a car crash or something and I need mm. my, but you know yeah. so again yeah. but these are things that ne were never a, a feature and we survived no. as a species for an awful long time <laughs> um without these things right and and i think we just need to remind ourselves that we can <laughs> okay, you have to knock, knock on the alive. knock on a house door next door and say can we you yeah. know can you ring can you ring if there's been an accident in the road outside and ask yeah. for help yeah it was interesting my wife one of my wife's colleagues was, was sort of had, had a problem he, he he drove accidentally um into into a flood the other day we obviously had lots of heavy rains lately he was trying to take his kid to hospital and mm. um and he chose a, a a route that he was unfamiliar with and and then and ending up with a flood and um he ended up having to knock on someone's door and 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 they helped him yeah yeah <laughs> in the middle of the night in the dark of the storm knocked on a stranger's door um yeah. explained the situation and someone helped him so the, the yeah, we so it's te te technology disconnecting us in a way when we think it's a connection tool yeah absolutely absolutely and for some people it is a connection and i think it's important to remember that mm. there are some people particularly with social anxiety or people with with other you know challenging circumstances in their life for whatever reason whether that's physically or emotionally who who these are genuinely tools of connection so we shouldn't be outright dismissive of dismissive of them but equally it's become it's become a, a sort of a shallow replication for true connection and contact between people and i think that is a problem for the vast majority of us that we need to learn to navigate yeah broadly speaking what what are the challenges we face in, in your transition into this line of work from being in finance is it motivated by a sense of trying to make the most of, of, of our time because we've filled up with a lot of self-development stuff which is all about the 5 a.m club and as, as i say if you go to bed at 2 a.m from work you're like oh, well i'm not going to be part of the 5 a.m because that would be completely <laughs> counterproductive which maybe some people still are they still have that sense of this is the way forward but a lot of that self-development and wellness is around busyness and being busier and achieving more when you went through this how much was it more about noticing life and just sort of being in time if, if you like if you know what i mean because i'm reading a book called Four Thousand weeks which is a broad reference to how long we have on on this earth which kind of lays it stark and it's a sort mm. of counter to the self-development stuff about productivity and being more and more busy i don't know what was your sort of mindset around it is it your life philosophy if you like is it about just being here and, and noticing life because i think as we get older sometimes as, as you say there with working in an intense industry like finance you can just watch the years whistle whistle by 
yeah, and almost like be hoping for retirement, right? With the thing, you know, you're yeah. not necessarily enjoying what you're doing, but you're sort of seeing it as a as a step to the next phase where I can hopefully retire and then I'll have my whatever it is, whatever it's your vision is. It's a big, big one in finance, that, isn't it? I remember guys saying that to me when we were 22, 23. It was like, oh, well, if I get to 40, I might be able to retire because I've earned this pot. And I was thinking, yeah, but your 20s and 30s, that's like yeah, that's just, a pretty good time. Just this, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, disregard <laughs> the prime of your life. Yeah, totally. All for the hope that you might get your yacht or something like that or whatever it, whatever it is for you, your garden or your, your whatever, your, your, your home away in the country. But yeah, I mean, we, we do... I think it. I mean, fundamentally, fundamentally, I think back to the question. I think you were asking. It, it's a search for meaning, mm. and I think it's finding something in life that is purposeful for you, and that really is is the crux of it. And I think a lot of us, and I found this certainly in my experience in financial services, is you know we're doing things that provide us with an income, which we hope will at some point allow us to do something different that we want to do and we don't necessarily know what we want to do and that's a real challenge for for many people and i think if you can discover you know your purpose for want of a better word right then i think you're in a really a really good place compared to people who just are kind of a bit lost with that and so it's mm. helping people find what matters to them, what their values are, and what you can actually align yourself to that fills you with that sense of purpose. And that's where I think community is so important. And actually, you know, being in touch with people and, and you know, the work that I did with the elderly, I think was, was paramount in that and really, you know, yeah, just showed me the significance of, of human connection, and actually supporting people, others who, who need, you know, you, um, in, in one mm. way or another and that I think is profound and, 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 and incredibly powerful so the more community work we can do I think the better we'll find ourselves yeah kindness is a bit of a selfish sort of generous <laughs> thing to do isn't it because it does it does give you a buzz because you get locked into your own world and your own dramas but actually you do do something I just coached my little girls school group of girls who never played football before yesterday got them and I just absolutely loved it and you think in a way the parents saying oh it's great you've done this and, and volunteered and things but actually for me it's massively uplifting because I love sport and mm. can actually be quite disconnected from it as a sports journalist because you're sat in a studio whereas actually you know on the grassroots and, and being in the fresh air and, and watching a ball bounce around and trying to tra transmit ideas to to young girls was, was great in terms of you know being immersed in the moment your purpose so your purpose do you feel is to is to help people and was it a purpose you've always had or do you feel that we should be kinder on our younger selves and think that we didn't make mistakes we actually were, were different different seasons of life potentially and just recognizing that when seasons change yeah totally and i think i think i mean certainly i can speak for myself as a young person i was so desperate to prove that i knew everything and then i was you know established mm -hmm. in the world and i could i could cope and be capable and i just you, you just sort of shut out the prospect of the things that you don't know and you kind of you know you, you you sat there pretending or desperately trying to hold it all together and actually you put so much pressure on yourself and it's such a a small part of your life really but such a, a a profound part of your life equally and I think it is trying to remember that it is a long game and that this is it's not a mm. race to the end um because I think that's often how it feels you know I've got to you know get 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 out of school and get a job and then I'm going to get a job and I've got to you know find a relationship and settle down and maybe have a family or whatever it is and you know tick these boxes that are someone else's boxes and I think that's that's the key thing there's a, a guy Johan Hari who wrote um a, a wonderful book called Lost Connections and one of the things he talks about is this and it's it's this 
following the goals of other people, following the goals of society, yeah. the things that we are told will make us happy. And this is the, the land of marketing, the land of advertising, right? And again, it's not, you know, it's not to say it's malicious or or conspiratorial in any way, but that's how the how we're wired and so it's how the mechanism works to sell us products to make yeah. you feel better if you buy coca-cola or if you buy the mercedes or whatever it is right mm. you know, it's it's sold it's, as a lifestyle but it's one you can never achieve is it because there's always there's always something else that yeah, you need to get. yeah yeah because it's a fantasy and, and and the key thing here with this is and this is true for when you look at other people right we look at other people but we don't see their emotion Mm. So what we see is we see the snapshot. Everyone else appears to us, everyone else, but most people, when you're looking at life, you're seeing just the outside appearance. And so, you know, they appear to be getting on with their family or just having a, a nice drive down the road in whatever car they happen to have or whatever, right? But what you don't see is their internal chatter going on. You don't see their neurotic voice squirreling away at them, eating away at them inside like it does to all the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why we sort of look outwards and think everything else looks better. We're chasing someone else's vision, someone else's dream, mm. rather than actually working on the relationship with ourselves, which is fundamentally the only, is ultimately the only relationship we'll be left with. Right? Back to, <laughs> back to, yeah. back yeah. to potentially our challenges in life, right? And there was, you know, and this is why so many people don't like to be alone because they're, you know, they, they kind of have a very unpleasant relationship with their internal voice. Mm. How, how would you define a healthy relationship with our internal voice? Because you, you don't want it to be sort of, well, I, this is maybe this is a prejudice of mine, but I wouldn't want it to be overly indulgent in terms of you're great, sit on the couch, eat loads of chocolate and, and that yeah. kind of thing. But at the same time, I have had periods in my life where it's like, you're just never happy, man. You just, you know, there's always a, a another another kind of hill to try and cl to climb and, you you know, you're kind of hard on yourself and, and dismissive of your successes. What is the the relationship that we we should have? That it's a bit like a healthy relationship for a coach and their client, isn't it? I guess is a similar one. So yeah. So okay. So I think it's being aware of it is the key thing. Mm. And again, that's really the fundamental because and and you're totally right, right? From again, and and this is we've been set up from this by evolution, right? To be more prone to seeing negatives and more prone to sort of fearing to the future. And there's good reason for that because it helped keep us alive. Yeah. And again, to the point, if we were all too happy and too content, then yeah, we just sit on the couch and eat Cheetos or whatever. And <laughs> but we got we've got choice now, haven't we? Which brings <laughs> it brings a lot of you know, anxiety and stress. Whereas before it was just go out and hunt, get a wildebeest, get some berries, yeah. come back to the cave. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Well, again, that's part of the problem is that we have, for the most of us, particularly here in the West, is we have an abundance of comfort and free time. Mm. And actually, we, we're not really evolved, I don't think, to, to deal with that yet. So again, you know, and, and you wouldn't want to be without it. You don't, you know, there, there is this sort of, I think there's this, false nostalgia for this sort of yeah. come together a past right at the moment mm. and the idea that hunting your wildebeest is a, is a purer way to live but actually it leads to starvation and injury and yeah. not having enough and you know and fear will you know will you be able to die, die from a cut or graze or something <laughs> like that you know yeah. cut or the yeah. animal injury or whatever so you know it's it's um yeah i think it's it's best left as a as a fantasy rather than actually yeah well i always think we're, we're we're in a sweet spot i don't know what you think about this when you look at some of the human evolution and the anthropology of it they sort of say you know hunter gatherers were eminently more healthy than probably even city dwellers up to 200 years ago but okay. then 
we've actually almost all these millennia of suffering of people living in urban environments with animals and disease. And, you know, we saw that when the Europeans went around the world and all the diseases they brought with them to, to sort of more hunter-gatherer societies, that they weren't prepared for that. But you think we've got this pot spot now, we're still living in urban environments, but we've got sewers, we've got modern healthcare. We've, we've kind of, I, I guess, ridden the crest of a, a long wave for a lot of a lot of previous humans. So it is trying to make the most of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we're, we're built on the on the backs of giants before us, aren't we? And all mm. their sort of sacrifices and suffering, etc. And you know, it's a very Jordan Peterson thing to say, but you know, it, it's very true. You know, and we we kind of do. It's easy to lose sight of that when we're we're focusing on the challenges of our own life and and the, the existential threats that we appear to be surrounded with all the time. So, yeah, so. I I think this, the, the sweet spot is recognizing it and i think this is the, the the key thing for the work that i do with most of my clients and, and in my own journey as well is is being more aware of the chatter in the mind and our propensity to see things negatively and to understand that that's not inherently a bad thing it's been very useful for the survival of the species but um we don't necessarily want to just get stuck there mm. and that's i think one of the pivotal things with mindfulness in particular is it helps you helps you not get stuck in a given state. There's nothing wrong with any of our emotions, right? Again, they're all evolved for a reason. There's nothing wrong with happiness, nothing wrong with sadness. There's nothing wrong with being angry. There's nothing wrong with crying sometimes. You know, none of those things are a problem in themselves. It's when we just get locked in them and we get locked in them because our thoughts feed those fires, those emotional processes. And when we get mm. stuck in patterns of thoughts, and again, we're, we're inclined to, to a point we can be inclined to, because the neuroplasticity of the brain means that the more we repeat certain thoughts and outcomes and tendencies, the more reinforced they become, right? So if you've had a period of, of challenging thoughts in your life or thinking negatively, those thoughts just get more and more easy to bring to mind, yep. and harder and harder to resist. And, and, and so it's, it's, we can never really stop the thoughts, can we? But in terms of a definition of mindfulness, to what extent would it be close to a definition as saying you're just cognizant of your thoughts, but maybe carve out a separate identity where you can step to the side of them and just watch them go by without feeling they are you? Is that is that the key distinction that you're not your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not a, it's not attachment. And, and it mm. is very much that case that we are so keen to, we get mesmerized by our thoughts, right? They're like, a, they're like a movie. You go to a movie and if you're watching a good movie, there are times where you just lose yourself in it, right? Yeah. And you kind of, you, you kind of forget there's any separation. You're just, you're just in the movie when it's a good movie and, it, and that's what you want. Um, that's why you go to the movies in theory um, but we do the same with our minds all the time right we get lost in our thought and we so identify with these thoughts but you know we don't control our thoughts we don't know what our next thought will be you don't mm. necessarily know what your next question for me will be right it'll no it'll appear. No, i'm, not, I'm not, not as prepared as that <laughs> <laughs> it will appear through the course of the conversation and you might you know and you might take a pause and think well maybe i don't want to ask that question or whatever right but actually you don't know what that next question will be you don't know what that next thought will be mm. but when we have a thought particularly a negative thought or a judgmental thought about ourselves oh christ i'm so stupid for example or whatever we we're attached to that and we hold that thought to be true whereas if we although you can have delusions the other way uh, you know if you think well i'm so amazing and that can be <laughs> yeah. just as problematic. ego ego search yeah it can be just as problematic but but most of us have a an imbalance you know one way or the other and it typically it's towards the negativity yeah, no, it's, it's it's a fascinating one that and finding that that separation between 
between yourselves and perception. It can be important. I don't know whether there's a link with mindfulness and stoicism because I have people on the podcast talking about stoicism and that ability to not necessarily be defined by your environment and, and Victor Frankl, man's search for meaning in terms of, you know, surviving the Holocaust, befriending guards in the, in the camps, which is just phenomenal, really, was a classic example of trying to culture, cultivate a nice environment internally when externally it's, it's very challenging. I suppose if we have, we mentioned relationships, if you have challenging relationships, be it at work or at home that perhaps you can't avoid, that's, that's an interesting approach, isn't it? The mindfulness approach, because you can notice your reactions to situations without necessarily emotionally reacting or, or physically reacting to it. Yeah, and 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 or, or feeling reaction, but not getting again stuck or lost with it. So again, it mindfulness won't stop you getting angry, and nor should it. Mm. Right? Again, it's a, you know, it's, it's not about being passive. So, but it is about being able to maybe be more discerning is the term that's often used. So, being able to sort of make a better judgment call about what you do, and and it does help you. I mean, it helps you develop empathy with others as well. So because you understand, well, the more you understand about the nature of your own mind, the more you also understand that this is the same kind of stuff that's going on in most other people's minds or everyone else's mind. Yeah. So if someone else is, you know, is, is, is ranting and raving or, or stressed at you or whatever, it's not typically about you. Mm. typically you know sometimes it is and and sometimes you haven't done something yeah right and if you're if you're mindful if you're in that sort of detached <laughs> mode you can you're more likely to see that aren't you than if you're sort of fully engaged with it in a, in yeah. a sort of committed way yeah yeah no definitely so it, it it absolutely can help you with your relationships um with yourself primarily right and this is a key one because most of us you know forget that actually when we're when we're keen to point out all the problems with other people and it's obviously always someone else's fault you know it's always your other half's fault for arguing or your boss's fault for being unreal you can't really impact them can you that's the problem you know that's the no <laughs> totally no yeah. totally you can't no i mean you know you can try and have conversations with people obviously and 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 the more the more you are you know, in tune with your emotions and able to articulate your emotions, the better chance you have of, of sort of, you know, positively influencing others in that respect, right? But if you are lost to your emotional state because you've got triggered, you're angry, you're just going to end up in this, you know, sort of fighting conflict with, with your other half or with your boss or whatever, and it's just going to spiral and get worse. So yeah. there's these sort of like society mantras isn't there one of them is that people don't change how optimistic are you from your own experience but also working with the clients that, that you have worked with in terms of that people can change and fundamentally change that that internal environment yeah and i mean yeah i mean i'm a i'm a, 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 a an ardent believer in and people can change and i i've i've you know witnessed changes in in myself and in my clients and and i just and i think to assume that you can't change is 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 horrendously naive i think because you know if you look back at yourself through through your life you know you have changed and the you know if you look at your your 10 year old self and your 20 year old self and your 30 year old self etc cetera, etc cetera, there are marked differences in what you hold to be true and in how you conduct yourself now some people are are less plastic than others i suppose and get more mm. set in their ways for some combination of reasons that i don't fully understand i'm not going to pretend that i do but actually most of us you know absolutely can change if we if we a believe we can because if we don't believe we can again you're, you're fundamentally stuck um and then you're prepared to put the effort in and 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 i suppose this was <laughs> there's the beast there's the dog oh, yeah yeah <laughs> What type of dog is it? Is he or she? A Rottweiler. A Rottweiler. Wow. A Rottweiler. Yeah, Greta. Yeah, that... She's lovely. She's just um, very noisy as a guard dog. 
that's a it's a brilliant that's a brilliant contrast because obviously now since you you've left your finance days behind you've got a wonderful head of hair and a beard you've got the kind of more, more hippie 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 look but you've got a rottweiler that's that's but that's brilliant isn't it because people are people are textured that's about being yourself and and the nuances of it well, Rottweilers are, are soft as uh, as soft as anything. They really are lovely. They've got this sort of, they've got a terrible, you know, stereotype again because of movies and and occasional occasional things in the press. But actually, yeah. they've got a lovely temperament. But again, that's an example of you know with with dogs generally, it's it's how you raise them. It's just mm. like people, right? And and you can you know raise people to be nasty, obnoxious people, or you can raise people and dogs to be kind and lovely and all those sorts of things. And so, well, that's a yeah. big that's a big that's a really good point actually. And I think that's something that. I don't know if you're a father or or will be one day, but that's something that my wife and I have talked about a lot. And we talked about it in reference to all manners of people, difficulty in our life and, and even homeless people. And, and perhaps people could be prejudicial the, and make judgments about people before. But when you have a kid, you you realize from the sense that oh, everyone was this vulnerable. Everyone was so reliant on those people around them at the start. And it gives you an, an empathy and a sympathy is that a big challenge for people like, like a Rottweiler, like any dog that's been, you know, mistreated and you see them rehomed dog rescue homes all the time. It, it, do humans, I guess, face a battle to, to correct some early mistakes from their environment? And is that part of your job with, with the people you work with? Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. And and totally it is. And, and, you know, some, some people obviously have really horrific starting circumstances to life and, and it's super challenging and it's very, easy when people have had relatively privileged you know upbringings and and and, and supportive families and and, mm. a, and a, a decent education and all these things that we take again we take for granted and that doesn't mean that we should be you know um devoid of any suffering in our lives and, and challenge in our lives either right but it's very easy to forget that um that there are some really challenging circumstances that people have to have to go through and it does shape you dramatically one of the the biggest mystery really is what's is why two people can go through very similar circumstances and one comes out, you know, almost yeah. like an angel and one, you know, succumbs to it and becomes, you know, diabolical to, to some extent. Yeah, tra right? traumatized, more traumatized. Yeah. yeah. And so it's really, it's really interesting. And I do, I, I do work with young care leavers as part of the work that I do. So these are people who've been in the foster system and, and being able to talk to them and support them as young adults is again, really interesting seeing the, the things that they have to wrestle with um, as young adults that I, you know, didn't have to wrestle with, uh, fortunately, because, you know, my upbringing was, was, in quotes <laughs> normal or positive yeah right? yeah yeah so um but yeah no i mean fundamentally we do need to be more mindful of the challenges that people face in life and, and again this comes down i suppose to to questions about sort of free will and, and being able to choose your thoughts and that the more tragedy you've had in your life the, the more difficult your circumstances are the more likely you are to anticipate future challenging circumstances the more likely you are to be highly stressed the more likely you are to be prone to anger and that then has a, a cascading spiral effect on all your interactions because you're yeah. feeling threatened because you've been threatened so much in your life by the circumstances that probably started as a very young child that were completely out of your control you're now 
sort of you know hardwired or hotwired to these you know really really volatile emotional states and your your amygdala your emotional center is 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 literally enlarged and your prefrontal frontal cortex is 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 diminished is reduced in its ability to to direct you in in rational decisions mm. so you end up in this vicious cycle and this is you know where you can obviously end up in in, in situations that are extreme like homelessness and things like that and and i think it is important for us to remember particularly when we're on the other side of this and and, and we, we're glad that we are um that that people it, it's easy to say that people choose these lives and and actually i i really think that's that's very far no. from the truth yeah and i think i think i think being judgmental about people gives us a sense of false security doesn't it as well because what we don't want to think is that it could have happened to us but i think mm. actually if you're honest you realize oh a different chain of events had unfolded yeah. i'd felt about myself this way if i'd encountered this who knows and i think yeah. once you do that it's, it's quite liberating to actually concede that it makes you more sympathetic but makes you i think just more relaxed about about the whole the whole world yeah yeah you, you should let go a little bit stop trying to control it and just um and just yeah and just be present with it and um, yeah and grateful for what you have and realize that some of it's work and some of it's luck and i think that's yeah, yeah. a bit like sport you know when you win a game i think sir alex ferguson always said with manchester united you know there is a need a dollop of luck to be a successful manager as well which which is good because you can't you can't control everything with, with sport what's your thoughts on that and, and physical exercise more generally because i've talked about and i think people have written about and there's a lot of research about being in the zone being in the moment being in time with sport which can bring that sense of of mindfulness is is it more broadly speaking rather than going for an hour and playing five-a-side football and getting a, an escape from your thoughts is your theory that you can perhaps use that as a template for a, a general approach to life is that what a mindful life is it's something where you're in time you're, you're feeling present most of most of your life yeah so i think what you're talking about there's this sort of this flow state and that people yeah. talk about when they're particularly like in sports and, and things like that or, or if you're if you're focused on anything and then it can be a, a craft that you're doing i talk about picking up leaves a lot right if i'm picking up it's a, it's a repetitive manual task in a sense right and, yeah and i sports it you know is, is a bit more dynamic than that but at the end of the day yeah you, you kind of you get into this flow state you're so lost and focused on the present moment a, a much smaller sense of the present moment in a way as well right because the whole mm. world around you dissolves um and you are just focused on whatever it is right the book the, the football and the, the five other people on your team and the five people on the other side etc etc and and that is is very much sort of the essence of some of mindfulness um it is kind of just seeing everything as it is including being lost in thought as well and this is this is really the 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 the, the ultimately challenge of it subjectively yeah. is being able to sort of recognize that again because yeah your thoughts aren't necessarily the problem as long as you're not lost in them right you're not trying to stop yeah. thoughts you're not trying to switch them off a you couldn't and b you wouldn't want to right you you know again the thoughts are quite useful they've evolved for a reason yes yeah <laughs> so but it is changing the relationship that we have with them. So yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, physical exercise and, and, and flow state stuff is, is lovely. And that's what attracts people to it. But it is trying to make sure that you can bring this into the real world with you. And I think that's the critical difference. And it's the same with mindfulness and sort of meditation, because it's very easy to fall into the habit of thinking that I'm, I'm mindful for 30 minutes when I'm meditating or whatever. I'm, I'm in my peaceful mm. sanctuary. It's got to be quiet. It's got so to it's, smell so it's like a re it's like a recharge. And then you need to, then you sort of go into a stressful world and then you need to go back and recharge again. But 
Yeah. That hopefully we didn't we don't need to recharge, I guess. That's yeah, that hopefully, yes, because you bring mindfulness through to every aspect of your life. So yes, you bring that attitude. So you are approaching the challenging, the stressful stuff um, with that awareness. So you don't get, and again, it's, it's just about again, not getting stuck in it. It's mm. not about stopping there being stressful situations. It's not about stopping, you know, an angry response to something. But it's about not then carrying it with you for the rest of the day or the rest of the week or even longer, right? Years yeah. and years of, <laughs> of pent up yeah. anger. Well, but, 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 but anger, you've mentioned that a few times. Is that something us blokes are more likely to suffer from do you think that women do they have a broader range of emotion i know there's research at the moment into women who are transitioning to be men and getting testosterone treatment and actually saying that one of those aspects is that they feel a lot more anger than previous and realize that the, the emotional range is perhaps less nuanced than, than when you're a sort of biological woman yeah it's interesting and i don't know the science behind it so i, I wouldn't i wouldn't profess to but i mean certainly i work with anger with more of my male clients than my female clients the female mm-hmm. clients tend to be more anxiety um seeking solutions and the male clients tend to be more anger but it's not it's not black and white like that there is both but i mean I mean, anger is a response normally to fear and threat, right? Yeah. So the, the less the less secure you feel about your situation, the more prone you are to be angry. So I think, you know, men have a, a real challenge at the moment, sort of feeling a sense of place in the world and feeling a purpose in the world. And yeah. I think that then creates this essentially a, an existential threat to them, right? So you're more likely to be to be prone to flying off the handle because you feel threatened. Mm. And, and again, this is why it's so important to understand, I think, human psychology and I think that's one of the, the great failings of our education system is that you you don't come across this until you possibly go to college and choose to study it if you're inclined to or university. Yeah. And actually, you know, from a young age, obviously, we all we all have to live with psychology with ourselves and with others. And yeah. we're also blasted by it. You know, the, the marketing engine, right? All mm. understand it in, in, incredibly well and use it to, you know, to exploit the market, right? So, and politicians do as well, for example and things like that right and it doesn't mean that it's malicious but what you've got is you've got an audience that can't defend themselves because they don't understand it can anger be useful in a short in the short term i know tony robbins you you referenced earlier has referenced the fact that he finds it more useful as as helping people than a sort of depression state because he said he can actually get them from depression into anger to then instigate change yeah so anger is an action state so yeah i mean again there's there's nothing inherently wrong with any emotion it's just not getting stuck in them but yeah anger will at least encourage you to take action but you don't want to get stuck in anger because it's very physiologically demanding yeah it's not good for your heart and things like that and it's not good generally for your relationships with other people no so so not you're not yourself like you're talking about that but going back to that yeah not for yourself and not not with the people are living with you or your work colleagues right if they're facing an angry person all the time it's incredibly incredibly yeah. incredibly wearing um but no it is it's better than being sort of you know physiologically it's better than being stuck in in the depressed state but i mean again tony robbins talks about his crazy eight and that's where you flip-flop between the two and that's because you you, you know you you you're 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 feeling low you're feeling depressed or whatever and you're you're wallowing in this and then eventually the anger and again you could you don't control this this is the sort of interesting sort of thing about sort of free will at some point something will make you sick of it if you like your your self-pity your your anguish whatever it is and you'll get angry and you'll yep. go off and on an angry rampage about something, whatever it is, whether it's against the world or against yourself or whatever. And, and then your anger burns itself out. And then you find yourself back in the state of, of low mood and depression. You can get stuck in, like I say, what he calls a crazy eight. Um, yeah. What's the, what's the key to getting out of that? Is it, is it getting from the anger into a, 
a happier place? Is it changing something in your life, changing something externally, internally? Yeah, well, yes, you've got to change the circumstances. You, I mean, fundamentally, our, our emotions are trying to get us to move towards a, a, a po- what we think is going to be a positive goal. I mean, that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for a sense, this comes back to Viktor Frankl's, I suppose, sense of man's search for meaning, right? A sense of purpose, a sense of having having something to contribute. And I think that's so critical. And I think that's so dangerous in our comfortable life, you know, I say, you know, relatively comfortable world that we live in, right? Mm. There's a huge spectrum and people are suffering anyway. But because we we've kind of lost that communal sense of working together towards a common goal which yeah. again historically would have been just trying to get the harvest in so we didn't starve to death or you know building enough houses collecting enough firewood all that sort of stuff right and it would have completely consumed us because we would have been very busy very physically demanding all that sort of stuff working as a community to keep to keep your community alive and now there's and, and, and again it's good <laughs> that we have so many of these things that we don't yeah. have to you know we've got sewage and we've got electricity and we've got you know we've got access to to food more than any of us could eat you know mm. and so but that has taken away so many of our sort of fundamental senses of meaning and i think that's why people fall into these states and if you can a, you need to identify that you're in these states and that's that because you don't necessarily recognize it. And this is part of the problem. You just think you're a, and you think the problem is you. Yeah. Right. And you think you're the only person who's struggling. And, and one of my favorite expressions or quotes I get either on my social media or from my clients is I thought that was just me. Because people do, they think they're the only one. It's so easy. And again, this is yeah. because the Instagram culture of everything's perfect and everything looks amazing, right? And they think they're the only ones who are mentally unhinged and can't cope with the, the chaos of their life and that their kids are driving their nuts and, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But actually, it's, you know, we, we, we have very similar human experience. You know, the, the individual specific specificities of our life are obviously yeah. different, but the, the psychology within us is universal and it has to be universal otherwise we wouldn't the stories that we love wouldn't appeal to so many of us right you wouldn't be able to do a movie that appeals to millions of people (laughs) if we were all so different you wouldn't be able to market anything to anybody if we were all so different we are so similar psychologically and and with that sort of the catalyst for change i think a lot of the well-being centers around the internal Correctly, because that's the reality that you live with a lot of the time. And you're talking about mindfulness, we're talking about physicality and exercise and things like that. But fundamentally, you changed the, the external environment drastically for you in terms of the workplace. Is what's the important lesson there that that perhaps you know these other things are sticky plasters until we do to take strides to change what we can change? I think there was something in there that sense that Victor Frankl couldn't change being in a in a camp. So in a sense, sometimes if you're if you're locked in, and people probably experienced this sense of freedom during the lockdowns, actually bizarrely, didn't they? There was nothing you suddenly couldn't do a lot of different things. There were yeah. no options. They're taken off your your plate. Do you think it is taking action in the external environment? Is that a necessary step for a sort of a, a relaxed and calm environment rather than just taking up an exercise regimen or taking up a mindfulness approach? I think. I th- I think it's whatever works for you. I don't think there's a necessarily a right answer, right? And I think mm. it's, you know, I think, again, it's being a detective to what's happening in your life. And if the things you're doing are still leaving a sort of a, a sense of, of something gaping that's missing, then there's something that you need to adjust. Yeah. And, and that might be, you know, spending more time in nature and actually 
getting outside. It might be actually finding some work to do in the community. Yeah. Um, or doing a different job like you did or a different, or different career, yeah. Taking a leap, yeah, exactly. Taking a more fundamental leap. But it is, it's difficult because obviously we need to eat at the same time, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah. th- these careers that, are, that can be so frustrating and, you know, and, and I, you know, there's probably not many people, sadly, who, who really love to get up in the morning and go to do their job, right? There's not many people who do that, no. right? Most of us, and again, this is. A, <laughs> do, a do lovely, you do you now? Do you feel that? How do you feel about your your work now? I I really enjoy what I do, and I I, I genuinely do. And but I still have the, and and this is something that Marcus Aurelius said as well, right? He struggled. So the the the, the Roman emperor, who's who's one of yeah. the, the, the modern founding fathers of Stoicism, in a sense, right? Um, or the ancient founding fathers of, of Stoicism. <laughs> didn't like getting up in the morning and and i mean obviously he had a, a different set of pressures to me right yeah but, you know this is this is the leader of rome the largest empire you know arguably that the world ever knew and all that sort of stuff and 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 he didn't want to get out of bed in the morning right and he yeah. he felt the weight of that pressure so again there's it's very i think very human and i and again i don't i don't i wouldn't profess to understand the roots of this i need to do some more reflection on it <laughs> but even even if you are you know, happy in your work, genuinely and content, and you have that purpose, there is always still that sort of, you know, there, there are these sort of wrestling elements that we have within ourselves. And I think that's, and it's, rec- and again, it's recognizing that, and that's not a problem in itself, as long as you don't get stuck in them. But yes, yeah. I'm much happier now. <laughs> well, I think it's great, but it's great that you talk about the the, the pragmatic aspects there of, of needing an income and things like that, because especially if people are parents i think you can't necessarily just jump quit quit a job walk away and then and then have no income because there is a, a reality to that and what i like about your approach to mindfulness we talked about the 30 minute approach is where i think a lot of it's been sort of centered or even 10 20 minutes but what you do on the your instagram account is this idea of a, a minute of mindfulness and i think how much did you think about that and your approach to it that, that perhaps you needed to fit in with the, the reality of the way people are living yeah, and and I think that's that's very much it. And and there's and it's the same with the gym, right? It was my attitude with with the gym when I was a personal trainer. I suppose inherently I'm lazy, right? <laughs> and I don't want to spend hours typically. And I've done I've done multiple day retreats and things like this, right? So I I have put in some time on my meditation. Don't get me wrong. And yeah. The same with my exercise. But but there's lots going on in our lives, particularly again the, the modern world. You know, the real world, if you like, that we that we live in and that, mm. we, that we have to work in and and so actually finding things that you can do as as efficiently as possible is what i really enjoy doing and that's you know that's ties into the tools that i teach people to help them with their mental landscape and the same with the the exercise side of things like kettlebells for example i think are fantastic because they give you great bang for your buck yeah and you can you can get a really solid workout very quickly um and you you know doesn't take up lots of equipment doesn't take up lots of space you don't even have to go to the gym right because you can have a kettlebell mm. at home it doesn't take up loads of space doubles up as a doorstop all these sorts of things right same with your meditation you know if you like meditating and you've got time to meditate for, for 30 minutes or an hour a day then fantastic but a lot of people will really struggle to do that mm. and and if you, and your so, husband's saying why don't you empty the dishwasher or whatever it is yeah, I'm meditating yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, meditating. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'll get around to it yeah um and and you know people like jocko willink and stuff like that just say get up earlier and all that sort of stuff and i think tony robbins does as well and i think arnie has said something but that similar. goes back to the sleep i always wonder what time those guys go to sleep because i think like yeah. they go into bed at nine because as you were talking about sleep being a fundamental pillar or maybe they're the, yeah. like one of the 0.05 percent that don't need a lot of sleep <laughs> they don't need sleep <laughs> yeah but odds are you're one of the people that needs sleep 
sleep, right? Statistically, yeah. you're one of these people that yeah. actually needs eight hours sleep. So, but yeah, no, it is an interesting one. And, and again, it's what works for you, right? If that genuinely makes you happy, then all power to you. But I think we're, we're, what, what it smacks of is that we're all looking for something, right? And this is, I suppose, the, the vehicle of the podcast and things like that, yeah. right? Is, is that we're all kind of, you know, back to Victor Frankl, you know, searching for a meaning, searching for a purpose. And we're hoping that other people will have the key for us to do that. And and I suppose the root of mindfulness is is finding that that peace within, because that's the only, you know, again, back, you, you will be ultimately left with yourself and you spend all this time mm. with yourself and you spend all this time internally talking to yourself. And, you know, whether that's a nice internal dialogue or a really challenging well, internal we, dialogue. Well, you talk about modern media. We spend a lot of time trying to design our house and programs like Grand Design and, and house makeovers, yeah. but actually trying to create that nice place to live in inside and how you feel 95% of the time is is massive right for however long you live for yeah totally well, and, and experientially it's the only thing that matters right mm. genuinely if, from, the, from the point of view of experience it doesn't matter what happens in the external world around you what matters is how you feel about it mm. now it's important to have a moral framework attached to that because obviously you can use that to become a psychopath you yeah. don't want to do that so you need a moral framework but essentially it is all how you feel about it so yeah so you know again all these shows that we find entertaining we're drawn to but all they do is they make us judge our experience right mm. they're encouraging us to judge our, my home isn't good enough it's much prettier you know i've been watching the traitors and watching that castle in scotland and i'm like right, i want that castle in scotland you know imagine, imagine the upkeep though imagine the, upkeep the energy cost yeah. at the moment good yeah. grief um yeah but if i could afford it hopefully i could afford everything else but um but yeah anyway but you know we you sit there and you, you just you know we, we sit there comparing ourselves and again it's a very human thing to do and it's there's nothing inherently wrong with it, right? Again, you know, it's evolved for a reason and it's helped drive us forward. Again, if we were all completely happy and super contented, we'd probably, yeah, just sit there on our sofas getting fatter and fatter and, you know, not... <laughs> how, how, do you, how, how do you reconcile that as the sort of need to be wholesome and to help people who are really struggling but have aspirations to, to be successful yourself as a coach and potentially that means working with affluent clients who can afford a certain price? Do you... Do you have a sort of pro bono approach to some aspects of your work, and then a sort of you, you take money from people who can afford it? How does it? How does that work? So I think yeah, the, we're, we're often we're often conflict, we're often conflicted, aren't we, over money? Because I think in our society, like you're saying, we've got these kind of lofty goals of money, but then actually sometimes asking for money as a mm. as a self employed person in particular can be difficult. Or going to your boss and asking for more money, or people feel embarrassed about it. Yeah, no, totally, no, absolutely, and it is it is a thing, and, it, and I suppose that you know it's the the, the tragedy as is, is with most of these things, that it's the, the people who can least afford it who typically need it the most, right? So the yeah. harder your life circumstances are, the, the less affluent you are, the more likely you are to be struggling psychologically. You've got more pressures. You're worried about whether you can afford to pay your rent, whether you can afford to feed your family, whether you can afford to put your heating on at the moment, all those sorts of things, right? You might have less job security. You might have come from a, a more impoverished background prior to that and, you know, all sorts of things. So, again, this, this cascade of challenges. So, no, absolutely, it's, it's a huge thing. So I, I obviously put stuff which I believe is genuinely helpful for people, obviously, out free constant yeah. you know, that's a, a positive of the internet actually it's the a real internet yeah yeah and i do some charity work and stuff as well so I'd, like i said i do some work for the local authority helping young care leavers i've also done some work for a local hospice um teaching mindfulness to their staff and i'm hoping to support their their patients and, and things in due course i'm talking to their clinical psychology team at the moment about trying to 
um, instigate some mindfulness more formally into the structure there. So I do, I do volunteer services as well, but you're right. No, you've got to, you know, you've got to, um, yeah. <laughs> you've got to earn some money and, I know. Yeah. and put food on your own table. So it is, you know, it is, it is a, it is a wrestle. Yeah, no, definitely. Isn't it? It's an interesting one for coaches like that. And it's talking about PTs and I've done a PT qualification with our, our mutual friend, Ross Mitchell, who's a great physical instructor and, yeah. and, and really learned lots of, lots of aspects of, of coaching actually is, is very sort of deep thinker in lots of things, but it's interesting that because a lot of the PTs I know who have, have become affluent typically, and this is a stereotype because a lot of them are men is work with sort of upper middle-class <laughs> housewives who have got yeah. spare time and, you know, possibly all, all seem slim and well and, and very rounded in their knowledge on, on health and fitness. But because of that, they want to go that extra mile and get a, get a yeah. fitness trainer. So it's, it is a complex picture. But I think, like you say, maybe sometimes taking money off the table in certain interactions for me, volunteering at the school, doing things like that, helping my wife's on the PTA. They're just philanthropic things that actually you're not even considering how much to charge for something is, is easier. Mm-hmm. And, um, and simplifying areas of your life. So I, I love it. It's, it's really cool. And how important is it to, to, to be ourself? Is that a sort of modern advertising slogan, isn't it? But I think they often peg that to like driving a certain car or having a certain type of fridge or whatever yeah, it might well, be. But, yeah, but, but, yeah. but is yeah. it deep in that? Because I, I, it's funny because obviously for you, you got, as I said, you've got a wonderful head of hair because I didn't even think you were the, the age you are and you've got a great beard, <laughs> no great hairs, but your appearance is is one that probably doesn't fit with the financial setting. Is that, is that part of, did you feel more of yourself now? Is that a thing? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Because it is, I mean, it is, it is finding a, a sense of integrity with yourself and authenticity with yourself. And that's, that comes as a coach. And one of the things that you sort of find when sort of doing this social media game is, is finding your authentic voice. And, it, and that evolves. And I think, again, there's a lot of pressure to sort of have that established when you're whatever age right but yeah actually the life experiences shape you and and your you know your 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 sense of self evolves and what's important to you evolves and again this ties into the fact that we can and do change right mm. you know we we absolutely do change and we certainly can change so i think you you do have to be you do have to find a way to be authentic to yourself but you've also got to do that in conjunction with the people that you live with in your life and i think that that's this i think there's too much focus on you know the need to be individual and to hell with everybody yeah. else and i think that's a you know that's a problem because we're a social species right and fundamentally we're a social species but we also have you know a strong individual bent and mm. and and it is again it's that balancing act of the two so you know you want to find your authentic self and and be as as honest as you are um as you can be with the world around you but you also have to fit in the world around you and you have to live in the world around you so yeah it's finding that that happy harmony yeah and, re- and other people's thoughts and and their environment internally externally are important aren't they to us to maintain those relationships and i often find that and um i know we'll, we'll wrap up in a minute because i know we've been we've been going for a while and I really appreciate your time but it's it's that balance i hosted the cheltenham Wellbeing festival couple of a few years ago a few events around town and what was interesting that one of the advertising slogans used in the windows around it was self-care is not selfish and i sort of ruminated on that a lot as a parent and things because you know i work a lot of evenings so if i then go if i work four evenings a week if i'm then playing football on another evening it means that i've only seen my daughter two evenings a week and you start to think it's nothing's that simple it's all proportionality isn't it in life and i think yeah. you know self-care potentially what was virtuous when you're a, a single guy at 21 and going to the gym three hours a day isn't necessarily virtuous if you've got family commitments at, at yeah. home 
So it, it's kind of working, figuring that balance out for yourself, I suppose, is the key. It is. And in conjunction with the people who mean the most to you. And that, that I think for me is the, the key thing, because with, you know, with, with taking mental health seriously and self-care seriously, it's not, and it isn't about being selfish. It's about help finding the strategies that you can be the best version of yourself so that you can then be there for other people. Yeah. Because, you know, your, your, your daughter will almost invariably care more about the quality of time she gets to spend with you mm. than the quantity to a point, right? And again, it's, you know, I know it's a curve, yeah. yeah. right? But she would rather, I'm sure, spend, you know, two quality evenings with you a week than spend seven quality evenings, quality, seven evenings with you a week where you were frustrated and not really there because you were thinking I'd rather be at football or yeah. I want to do something else. Yeah, or well, I haven't had enough exercise or whatever. It is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Cabin I feel, fever, yeah. I feel awful in myself or, or I'm stressed because I haven't been able to go to the gym and do some exercise, whatever it is, right? Whatever combination mm. of things. So it is, it is finding, finding whatever the tools are to invest in ourselves and, and, and keep our mental landscape as good as possible and work on improving our mental landscape so that we're better people to be around so that yeah our, our other halves and our, our kids and our colleagues don't bear the brunt of our <laughs> our tragedy yeah 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 the, the spilling out of our internal environment or whatever it is that frustration sort of psychological or, or physical where do where, where do we where we wrap up here and i was going to ask you quickly to do a, a little meditation in a second i know for people listening and how how that would work but it'd be nice just to do a 30 second thing or whatever you whatever you cool. think but where do people start do you think if they're not feeling quite right you, you went back to the, those pillars do you think sleep is a big one because i think it has for me i've tried to talk go around the house this bit if i have a good night's sleep life well, yeah, the, the, the other puzzles become a little bit easier to solve it's it's difficult because it, it's very difficult to separate you know your well-being out and, and people are inclined to and i think this is back to the whole exercise yeah. and mental health kind of thing um but i mean you know sleep is fundamental for almost everything um but then the same you know nutrition is as well believe mm. it or not you know the, 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 what we feed ourselves with and, and how we look after our body is 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 so critical so um but yeah if, if there's one thing you can fix in your life it, it probably should be sleep however if your mental landscape isn't good if you're prone to anxiety to worry to depression or anger or whatever mm. you're not likely to sleep so it's it, maybe exercise or something helps yeah yeah <laughs> and exercise also helps so yeah you do have you know you have this this constant sort of circle of, of factors in your life that are, that are influencing what's going on so Ca um, caffeine and anxiety and sleep an interesting kind of mix as well isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah just stack them all up and see what happens um but yeah so so sleep sleep's really good i, I mean i think for, for me the most profound thing has been studying what goes on in my mind Mm. and actually learning and identifying my patterns of behavior which ones aren't very helpful um and which ones aren't very true and and that's a very and that is a very stoic sort of attitude back to the stoic sort of approach and that's also the cornerstone of cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy cbt is that studying your mind and asking what's true and mindfulness really helps that because mindfulness allows you to cultivate the attention to to enjoy that space yeah and then that really is it's kind of that that's the unlocking of the puzzle if you like and then you you kind of suddenly can see the pieces whereas before it's just this you know big jumbled mass and now you know you're looking at a, a jigsaw for want of a better metaphor and and you can start assembling it or or reassembling or whatever as you as you need to to make your life better hopefully yeah and i, it's, I love it and i think in terms of the relationships that that sense of detachment between 
what you intend to be or, or believe you are internally and, and what your behavior is, I think is like you say, is, is good because you can actually see a set and having someone close to you who you trust for feedback to say, hang on a minute, you did this or said this, and this made me feel X, Y, Z or mm-hmm. escalated this situation when it didn't need to be, or you didn't understand that person. I think, and women are quite often pretty good at that, I think, and intuitively and, and can give you some, some good feedback. And I think, that for me, that whole mindfulness, it all plays into that sense of just being able to be aware of, of yourself, your thoughts, but also your, your behavior. Because you think, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. And they'll say, hang on a minute. You did this or said that two yeah. years ago. And I was like, oh, really? Did I? And then if someone else had done that, I would have thought they were a bit of a, a nincompoop, not to swear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What what are you embodying? And I think, and that this is a key thing as a parent in particular, or as a boss or anything else. But, you know, when when you're parenting and you're, you're telling your kids one thing, but you're actually displaying mm. a different behavior entirely they're not stupid and they know that instantly um and and so it's so it's so important that we embody what we what we're saying what we're professing and and that sort of lines in with that you know love it now Lorian, do you which do you fit do you feel like is it a good situation do you feel like happy to do a little mindfulness yeah of course yeah no yeah. problem because i think it's a good it's a good little insight um if, if, if you whether you've done mindfulness or not so what i would propose is that we do one with sound um, and the reason I do sound, so the, the breaths are common source of mindfulness, and you can do, you can be mindful with anything, basically, right? Mm. It really, really doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a focus for your attention. But a lot of people that I find when they're meditating, again, are very focused on finding this Zen space, this this perfect sense of calm, and. In life, it's often not like that, right? We live in houses with thin walls and there's traffic moving <laughs> around nearby. There might be a Rottweiler downstairs barking every now and again, all that sort of thing, right? Mm. We're surrounded by interrupting sounds. So if we can learn to be mindful of our relationship with sounds and our attitude to sound, then that's a really solid step to build from. And it also has a very practical purpose. If you if you happen to live near other people in the summertime when they're having parties outside at night and you've got your windows open and you can't sleep because they're having a party, you can actually bring this mindful attitude to the sound and you might find that you can actually go to sleep rather than being angry at the fact that your neighbours are inconsiderately <laughs> yeah. having a party at 2am yeah. in the middle of August, for example. So yeah, well, should we go for it? Because I think that's, that's a, and that is a very practical one. Because when you do stop and go quiet, I've just noticed even when you were talking, the hum of the, the laptop here and, and some distant traffic and my wife upstairs. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's quite nice. And actually a little bit of noise people often find quite reassuring. Silence is very disconcerting. G- true, mm. genuine silence. If you've got no sound, that's actually really quite uncomfortable for us. Mm. So yes, <laughs> but it's our attitude to it. So yeah, no, definitely. Okay, let's do we'll it. Go for it. Let's do it. Okay. So just sit comfortably wherever you are. Um, You can sit or stand. This is just an exercise in listening. And it's up to you whether you want to keep your eyes open or let them close. Entirely up to you. And just listen to the sounds around you. And my dog has chosen this perfect time (laughs) to do some barking. And it can be my voice. It can be the dog barking. It can be the traffic around. It really doesn't matter what you're hearing right now. See if you can let go of the labels that you attach to the sound. So instead of thinking dog barking and whether that's frustrating or annoying and just sit with a raw sensation, the experience of the sound hitting your ears. As if you're just gently waiting for sounds to reach you. 
Notice any emotion that you do attach to the sound, sense of frustration or annoyance or even happiness. Any sense that you're reaching for one sound in particular, that sounds pleasant, that sounds unpleasant. Simply notice this landscape. And if there's a space between the sounds, notice the space between the sounds. What happens in the mind when you're simply listening? Thank you. That was great. Very, very calming, actually. I heard a little bit of bird call. And it's interesting how you label things because, yeah, you think of bird which I, you know, I do like it, but it's, mm. it's interesting how you counterpoint that with the, the, a big dog barking, but luckily having the insight that you had of it, of, of her being a lovely dog, it, it gives you a different perspective. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic, how you do label things, but yeah. And that's brilliant. You feel quite reset from that, which is how long was that a minute or close that was to probably, one? yeah, probably about a minute, maybe two minutes, maybe two, but yeah, yeah. It, exactly. It doesn't need to be long. And I think it is. And, and the idea with the mindful minute, I suppose, is that you can, you can interject as many of those as, as possible into the day. Mm. Uh, every time you boil the kettle, every time you're waiting, you know, you've got a, a minute between your next meeting or whatever, you can actually bring some conscious mindfulness. We have lots of spare minutes. Don't, don't, don't use them scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> don't use the scrolling yeah yeah which is what people do yeah. yeah no it is yeah because yeah absolutely it is and i haven't figured out how to, to be mindful of instagram yet i'm going to work work on that no <laughs> it's a it's a time sink and you, you don't feel particularly relaxed you put it down and stuff but it's it's great uh Lorien holiday really appreciate you coming on i hope i said your name right because I've, I've, as a sports broadcaster i've been reporting on league Un games a little bit with Lorien, the uh the, the football team over there so it's it's very close to that but it's a fantastic name and it's, I really appreciate your time and, and riffing on a lot of those topics. What is the best way for people to find you and, and to find more meditations like that as well? Yeah, uh, thank you, Teddy. Yeah, I appreciate you um, having me on again. It's been a really interesting chat. And um, yeah, laurieandholiday.com um, and uh, my social media handles, Instagram, um, Facebook in particular. And also I've got a lot of meditations on YouTube under carefully hidden under Laurie and Holiday. So you can find me, <laughs> you can find me in any of those places. Um, and yeah, if you want to connect, um, please do. And I'd love to chat with you. Beautiful. Well, yeah, circling back to the top, we talked about social media. I think it's really beneficial and, and philanthropic use of social media the way you do it and it's been i've really found it intriguing i've listened to a lot of the meditations and, and found them beneficial so thank you go well and speak to you soon hopefully thanks take care fascinating conversation i think we probably focused a lot on the the mindfulness pillar there and actually not on on the five pillars and would like to dive deep into the nutrition one with with laurie in, in the time in the future as well maybe more of the physical side of it the exercise movement pillar and maybe elaborate on those kettlebells i know we've had ollie mel the kettlebell world champion on here and it seems to be a recurring theme a lot of people believe they're fantastic cardio and strength exercise combined really so great to speak to him he did say the fifth pillar he remembered walking his dog afterwards was breath that's the one we can also dive into with with Lorian next time but look out for him on laurienholiday.com for more information if you'd like to speak to him maybe get a consultation whether it's physical mental spiritual whatever it may be fascinating guy and always inspiring when people make those big life changes and works out for the for the good leaving that financial world which is a common footpath isn't it to, to maybe get a little disillusioned with that world despite the financial kind of money it brings 
so thank you for listening to the podcast if you'd like to rate it on itunes or spotify that'd be fantastic or whatever platform you're listening on or just tell a friend thank you to the sponsors bang and olufsen of cheltenham and serena v herring shoes remember the discount ted 10 ted 10 just high quality handmade english shoes shipped globally and you can uh, get that discount on all full price shoes over 20 pounds so pretty much applies across the board a cytoplan if you're looking to optimize your immunity maybe look at the vitamin d3 we've talked about on the podcast recently with my father dr mark draper who's kind of guided us into cytoplan supplements and helped consult with the company as well then the count the discount code at cytoplan.co.uk is draper 10r d-r-a-p-e-r numerals one zero capital letter r that's 30 percent off your first purchase of those supplements 10 percent ongoing and attic box audio we're looking to maybe preserve record a loved one's life stories the anecdotes the personality just the kind of things that that we unearth in those conversations that perhaps you didn't even know about a loved one that's what i found with my family members doing attic box audio conversations so maybe look up that at atticboxaudio.co.uk or drapermedia.co.uk thank you for listening to this pod have a great week and bye for now mm-hmm.